Well, if you are visiting with us this morning, let me just kind of give you a, a, a heads up. We've been walking through the book of Matthew together now for a long time, um, probably about a year and a half, and we've been just taking one section of Matthew at a time. And over the past few weeks, we've been dealing with some pretty difficult subjects. We've looked at, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at... Um, the need when you have um, a, a, a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, you got to get that resolved, and sometimes that leads all the way up to church discipline. Last week, we looked at forgiveness. As C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely ideal until they have something to forgive. You know, we all want to be forgiven, but forgiveness is sometimes hard to extend. And now this morning, um, we're going to be looking at the subject of divorce. I would be willing to bet that there is not a single person in this room that has not been affected by divorce in one way or another. You have gone through a divorce. You may be the child of a divorce. You have experienced friends that have gone through a divorce. And some of you in this room this morning, you may be even contemplating divorce. Now, I will be the first one to tell you that divorce is hard. I'm a child of divorce. My wife is a child of divorce. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what our Lord said about divorce. You're not going to hear me give you my opinion about divorce. We're going to do what we've been doing as we've gone through the book of Matthew together, is we're going to see the words that Jesus has revealed, and we're going to speak to those words. So know this, this is not an exhaustive sermon on divorce. We're really just focusing in this morning on what Jesus had to say. And within our passage this morning, the Pharisees and Jesus are going to go toe-to-toe again, like they have done over and over throughout this study. And what the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to stump Jesus. They're trying to test him. They're just they're trying to find a weakness in him so ultimately they can arrest him and, and, and crucify him. That's what they're trying to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through, really our focal passage is going to be 1 through 9 together. But we're going to read 1 through 12 together this morning. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, these are the words that we read. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking Is it lawful to to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been, born, who, who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Our message point this, is, this morning is this. God has high standards for marriage. That is an important statement for us this morning. That is what we are going to see this morning as a result of this showdown between the Pharisees and Jesus. Notice our first point. God designed marriage. In verse 3 again we read, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? In the midst of the crowd, Jesus is healing person after person. And the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they begin to question him about divorce. In order for us to understand this question, we really need to understand that during Jesus' day, there was a theological debate that was going on between the different, um, the different Pharisaical groups. The debate came about because of an Old Testament passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And these are the words that we read. In Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, we read this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife? Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This law was given by God to the people of Israel. It was given by God to offer as much as anything protection for the woman. A woman was not viewed very highly in history's past. They were seen more as a servant within the household of their husband, more so than a treasure given to the man by God the Father. And because of the limited view of women, the Pharisees had developed two schools of thought when it came to divorce. There were two very respected rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Each of these men interpreted Deuteronomy 24 differently. And they each had a following that believed as their rabbi did. Hillel was the liberal between the two. He taught that a Jewish man could divorce his wife for any reason, no matter what that reason might be. For example, if a wife spoiled her husband's dinner, he could divorce her. If a wife did not laugh at her husband's jokes, he could divorce her. If a wife looked at him cross-eyed, he could divorce her. And I'm sure that a few of you men have looked at your wife's cross-eyed over the, over the years. If the husband found a woman he liked better, he could divorce her and marry the other woman. 
It was said, a bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and be cured from that leprosy. It was also taught that if a man had a bad wife, it was his religious duty to divorce her. That was the Hillel school of thought. That school hasn't changed much today, hasn't it? I would be willing to bet that there have been divorces that have happened for, for more outrageous reasons than the ones that I just spoke to. The other school of thought was led by Rabbi Shemai, and he was much more conservative. He said that the only grounds for divorce was for sexual immorality. So you can imagine if these two schools of thought were being held by the religious leaders, much debate was going on across the land. And so they bring this debate before Jesus. And I wanted you to see this morning in verse 3, the very last part of that verse we read, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? The key part of that statement is for any cause. You see what the religious are doing here, religious leaders are doing here, right? They're trying to stump Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus to choose between the two different sides. They're trying to trap him. That has been the goal of the Pharisees since Jesus began his public ministry. So what does Jesus do? He goes right to the beginning of time right to the beginning of human history, and he defines marriage. He reaches back to Genesis chapter 127. He reaches back to Genesis 224, and he combines those two verses, and he speaks these words to the Pharisees and to those that were in attendance that day. He answered, he said, Have you not read that he who has created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. I want you to see this this morning. From the very beginning of time, it was God's intention that one man and one woman would join together and become one flesh. Clearly, God defines marriage here. He defined it between one man, one woman, period. That was God's plan in the beginning, and that was the plan for every other marital union to happen after that original marriage. Today, the man-made courts dictate to us what the definition of marriage is. But understand, it was clearly defined in God's Word, and we must adhere to the truth of God's Word. We cannot waver there. One man and one woman joined together, the two become one flesh. God created marriage, and God clearly defines marriage right here. Also notice that God ends marriage. In verse 6 we read, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. From the very beginning of time, God was to be the only one that could dissolve the marital covenant. The only one that could do that. When I officiate a marriage, I make the two that I am marrying repeat 
words, repeat their vows. And one of the vows that I have them repeat is, is this. And in fact, last year, probably the most newlywed people in this room that I would know of would be Justin and Casey. And Justin and Casey, last year, they stood up on this, this platform almost a year ago, right? Almost. What's that? In August. Okay, so a little bit um, from a year, but they stood on this platform, and I asked them to repeat these vows. I said, first, Justin, I want you to repeat after me. I, Justin, take you, Casey, and then now, Casey, I, Casey, take you, Justin. And I asked them to repeat these words, to become my partner in life, to have and to care for from this day forward in times of sorrow and in times of happiness, in times of poverty and in times of prosperity, in times of sickness and in times of well-being, to love and to enjoy till death do us part. I pledge my life to you this day. They entered into a marital covenant almost a year ago, and they made a commitment that the only thing that would dissolve their marriage would be death. And that was God's plan from the very beginning. However, today, some people have a divorce lawyer on file, just like they have a financial advisor on file, don't they? Getting a divorce is an easy thing to do. In fact, I, I, this week, I, I did a little Google search trying to figure out just how easy it is to get a divorce. And, and I asked my wife this. I said, I said, do you know how easy it is to get divorced these days? And she just kind of looked at me funny and like, no. Um, But I told her that I actually came across one site that advertised that for as low as $99, you can get an uncontested divorce online, and it would only take about an hour to complete the paperwork to submit to the courts. For as little as $99, your marital covenant that you entered into with your spouse can be dissolved. That just blew my mind when I read that. Never did God intend for there to be an easy way out. Divorce, in many cases, is an easy way out. God designed marriage. He is the author of marriage, and divorce was never to be an an option. Notice our next point here. God despises divorce. In Malachi 2.16, the Lord speaks of the dreadfulness of divorce. We read these words, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Some of your translations actually say that God hates divorce. That is tough language, but it is truthful language. In the expository commentary, we read these words, divorce is fundamentally at odds with God's purpose in creation. This helps us understand Jesus' response to the Pharisees when they asked him about Moses' teaching on divorce. In verse 7, the Pharisees pointed to allowances for divorce in the Old Testament. And Jesus tells them that these allowances were made to address the hardness of the hearts of God's people. These permissions of divorce were definitely not God's original plan for the marital covenant. In verse 7, again, we read, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? 
The Pharisees are pointing out to Jesus the easy way out found within the Mosaic Covenant. Today, even before many marriages begin, a prenuptial agreement is signed before the, before the vows are ever exchanged. And what is that telling us when somebody does that? It's telling us that, that, that we're pretty certain that this is not going to work. And, and so this is our easy out just in the event that it doesn't. Here's what we need to see. God hates divorce. He never intended for a marital union to end in divorce. So why do marriages end in divorce? Here's what we know. Marriage is the uniting of two sinners. Is there anyone in this room that would disagree with that? Marriage is the uniting of two sinners. You know, there has only been literally one perfect marriage, and that didn't last forever. It was the marriage of Adam and Eve. Before the fall in the garden, that was the only perfect marriage to ever exist. There was almost a perfect marriage whenever my wife and I got married. There was one perfect person and one imperfect person, okay? I'm going to let you figure out who that person is. Okay, it's Danny. Um, But when my wife and I got married on June the 14th, 1997, almost 21 years ago, two very imperfect people joined together. And, and I will tell you this, that woman has put up with a lot over those 21 years, okay? And I would be willing to bet that most of the wives in this room have put up with a lot when it comes to their spouses, okay? Some, it may be the other way around too, but not in our case. I will tell you that much right now. You know, we must recognize that we are sinners and we are going to make mistakes and we're going to have to work hard every single day at our marriages. Every one of us in this room that are married must make that commitment every single day that we're going to work hard to make this thing work. Know this, divorce always is the result of sin. No divorce has ever occurred without one or both parties committing dreadful sins. In verse 8, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the very beginning, it was not so. Moses permitted divorce, not because God approved of it, but because of the wretchedness of man and the consequences of sin. We know that the penalty of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. For humanity not to place their faith and trust in Jesus, it is an eternal death. So the weightiness and the consequences of sin is enormous. Sin separates us from God, and sin has the potential of separating us from one another as well. Moses made that clear, and then Jesus makes that clear in our next point. Our next point is titled this, God's Allowance for Divorce. Let me begin by saying this as your pastor. I have witnessed God do miraculous things through marriages. Miraculous things. 
Marriages that I never thought would survive because of sin that occurred. God brought these two dreadful sinners and redeemed the dreadful act. And today, some of those marriages are some of the most solid marriages that I know. Were the days before them easy after that? No. Was the restoration overnight? Absolutely not. It took weeks, months, and in some cases, years for God to redeem that marital union. The church is made up of awful, dreadful sinners that have been redeemed by Jesus. Much forgiveness has been extended and much forgiveness has been accepted. And within this passage this morning, we see that the Lord does allow for divorce in the event of adultery. No, it is allowed, but divorce is not the only option. The Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to identify the easy way out. And in response to the Pharisees' questions, Jesus does refill an allowance for divorce. He said, again in verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In, in, in the expository commentary, again we read, in that one sweeping statement, Jesus clearly narrowed the parameters in this discussion by allowing for one ground for divorce in Matthew 19, and that is adultery. There is some debate about the word for sexual morality here, pornea, which is a word used to refer to all kinds of sexual sin in the Bible. Yet in the context of this passage where Jesus has just referred to the one flesh union of marriage, the picture seems to be one of a spouse who violates that one flesh union. That is a serious violation, not not only against a spouse, but also against God. Sexual immorality was such a serious sin in the Old Testament that it was actually punishable by death. The people that were caught in that act were drugged outside the city gates, and they were stoned to death. In the book of Proverbs, King Solomon wrote that the person who commits adultery lacks sense and even destroys himself. Think about the far-reaching consequences of adultery. If anyone knew that to be true, it was King Solomon, right? Think about the amount of destruction that came about because of the adultery that occurred in his life beyond the fact that he had 600 wives and 300 concubines. Think about his parents, David and Bathsheba. Was there any more dreadful sin that we read about in God's Word than, than what happened between David and Bathsheba? I mean, think about that. Adultery occurred, and to try to cover up that adultery, what did David do? He tried to cover it up by bringing Uriah home, but ultimately he sent Uriah out onto the, into, the, into the battlefield at the very front of the battle, knowing that he would perish. And so murder was a result of that adultery, and ultimately David and Bathsheba lost the son that they had as a result of that event as well. God's intent, once again, is for one man and one woman to join together and become one flesh for a lifetime. 
If that marital union is broken, then there are far-reaching consequences. Even though the Lord permits divorce for marital unfaithfulness, that is not the wish that God would have. He always desires reconciliation. Yes, in the event reconciliation cannot be accomplished because of the hardness of one's heart, divorce then is permissible. And, and like I said, this is not an exhaustive sermon. There's one other allowance that we see in Scripture, and that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it talks about if, if a man or if, if two people enter into a marital union, one being a believer and one being an unbeliever, and the unbeliever walks away from that marriage, then divorce is allowed in the event of abandonment. But outside of that, okay, and once again, this is not an exhaustive sermon, okay, those are the two allowances that we see in Scripture. Now, we can, we can look at Scripture and we can talk about how within this passage of Scripture it, it, it may allow for this or that or the other, but this morning we're not doing that. Our focus is just on these two allowances that we see in Scripture. Here's how I want us to conclude our message this morning. I know that this is a weighty sermon. The past couple of weeks have been weighty sermons. And, I, you know, I love preaching. I love having the opportunity to stand before you and deliver God's Word week in and week out. But I'll tell you, some sermons are easier to preach than others, okay? Um, and the subject of divorce is a very hard subject because even amongst believers, Almost half of marriages end in divorce. And so I don't know what the statistics are in this room, how many people have been divorced and how many haven't, but I know that there are several of you that have. And so here's what I want us to see here in this closing um, point. God redeems divorce. At verse 9, again, we see, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. Reading those words given by Jesus reveals to us just how serious Jesus takes marriage. Just how serious he takes faithfulness. He does take it seriously. And he does expect faithfulness within our marriages. But I want you to know this morning that our God is also gracious. He does expect for perfection in each one of our lives, but he also extends grace to each and every one of us in this room. Some of you have experienced a divorce. You have experienced a divorce, and some of you even remarried. Some of your divorces were for biblical reasons. Some of your divorces were for unbiblical reason. And Scripture makes it clear that if your divorce was for an unbiblical reason and you remarried, then adultery has been committed. If that is you, know that God can still forgive you. He not only wants to forgive you for your past divorce, but he wants to use your current marriage and your testimony as a picture of how much grace is to be received and how much grace is to be extended. As I said at the beginning of this message, I am the child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was young. And I don't know all the details behind why my mom and dad got divorced. But I can tell you right now, when my mom remarried my stepdad, y'all know my stepdad as my dad. He is my dad. He raised me, okay? God redeemed, you know, just our family. And, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. And I don't know what kind of home I would have grown up in if my parents would have remained married. 
I don't know if I'd be standing here before you today. God is good. God is gracious. God can redeem a, mar- a, a divorce. Some of you have similar testimonies. God did not approve of your divorce, but God did redeem a future marriage. Now, once again, if you find yourself this morning in your second marriage, your third marriage, your fourth marriage, or whatever the case might be, and the divorces of your past were for unbiblical reasons, know that forgiveness may still need to be sought. Ultimately, God needs to forgive you if you have not sought his forgiveness. And you may even need to reach out to a past spouse and seek their forgiveness if that has never been done. It's hard. Reconciliation is hard. As we looked at last week, forgiveness is hard to sometimes receive as well as to extend. As we looked at the week before that and we talked about the necessity that we got to get things resolved and, 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 and how we go to a brother if they have wronged us and we try to get that resolved. If that doesn't work, we take somebody with us. If that doesn't work, we bring them before the church. If that doesn't work, then we treat that person like an unbeliever. I mean, these have been tough messages that we have looked at over the past several weeks, but these are important subjects for us to discuss because there is a world outside the doors of this church and there is a world that is within the doors of our churches that treat um, marriages just like they treat anything else. They treat divorce just like they do anything else. But God has high standards for our marriage and we must have those same high standards as well. So we also need to make sure that if there is something that needs to get resolved that we take the necessary steps to get it resolved. Now, as we conclude this morning, let me be very clear. Just because God redeems divorce, that does not mean that if you are contemplating divorce for biblical or unbiblical reasons, that you should move forward with that this morning. Our marital union between us and our spouses is a picture of Christ marriage with his church. It is a picture of Christ's commitment towards us. We are the bride of Christ, and he is the groom. Nothing nor any outside force can break up our marital union with God the Father. Christ is committed to us for all of eternity. And the picture here is that we need to be equally committed to one another, even though there are two dreadful sinners that make up a marriage. We are still to be committed to one another. We are to still be gracious to one another. We are to still extend forgiveness to one another. And we are still to accept forgiveness from one another. We must be committed to our spouses. We are to love one another. We must cherish one another. We must be faithful towards one another. And we must offer up forgiveness and accept accept forgiveness when it is necessary. I don't know where you're at this morning in in your relationship with your spouse. I have no idea. I don't know if there's reconciliation that must happen in this room or if you need to extend that, that forgiveness out towards someone else. I don't know that. You know that. And so this is one of those invitations that we're going to enter into this this morning. And, and my prayer is for all of us in this room that we work hard 
every single day to make our marriages count. Because there's kids that are watching us every single day. If you still have kids in your house, they're watching you. They're watching how we, we react to one another. And let's model for our children what a biblical marriage is to look like. And let's also model for our children the marital union that we entered into with God the Father whenever we became a believer. Let's stand together. And this morning, if there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to be here at the front. If there's reconciliation that needs to be extended um, or, or some work that needs to even be done within your own marriage, my prayer for you is that when you leave this place this morning that you'll get whatever it is that needs to be resolved, resolved. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know right now that there is no greater relationship that you can have than a relationship with the Lord. No greater relationship that you can have. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And if you don't know him this morning, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may need to come this morning. The Lord's leading you to join this church. You come. I don't know what decision you need to make. But if the Lord is leading you to make one, I'll be right here at the front. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, and I acknowledge that this is one of those messages, Father, that, that is not, 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 not easy to preach and not, it's not easy to receive. And, and Father, because all of us in this room in one way or another have been affected by divorce and that has been the result of personal failures or maybe failures of, 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 of someone else, um, you know, from our, 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 our parents, grandparents, friends, or whatever the case might be. But Father, we ask now just for you, Lord Jesus, to help us see the ultimate marriage example between you and your church. Help us to love you well because we know that you love us well. And Father, may that love extend into our homes where we love our spouses well. And we love our children well. And we love those that we do life with well. Father, if there's a decision that needs to be made in this room, Lord Jesus, I just pray, Father, that you will just draw the lost unto yourself, Father. Lord, if there's some that needs to join this church, may they come, Lord. Just move now during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.